This is Customer Conversations, a new series where ANZ customers share their unique stories of success, challenges, and what can be learnt along the way. Andrew Mitchell is CEO of Safcol, one of the world's major suppliers of fresh, packaged and frozen seafood. With the world as their oyster, Safcol hasn't shied away from diversifying, adding pet food and now baby food to their list of products. Andrew recently caught up with Daniel Clark, Associate Director of Food, Beverage and Agribusiness at ANZ, to talk about sustainability, opportunities and expansion into Asia. There's no question that we would be considered the leader in Australia and yep. one of the leaders in the world when it comes to responsible fishing. In fact, we were the first to really start sure. that process here. Safcoal is quite an old company for food companies in Australia. It started in 1945, the end of the Second World War. And Safcoal stands for South Australian Fishing Cooperative Limited. In other words, it was set up to be a uh, cooperative for fishermen to sell their fish in an organised manner way back in 1945. So that's how it started. Still today, we sell fish every morning of the week, fresh fish to the market. Every morning, fishermen bring their fish in and we sell it to the restaurants and the supermarkets and and the likes. That hasn't actually changed much. We're not a cooperative anymore, obviously. I haven't been for many decades. And we started off selling fresh fish, then we moved into the second half of the 20th century into canned fish, uh, which is what most people know us for. So safcoal tuna, safcoal salmon. Then we moved into pet food in the last 20 or so years, and we're probably the third largest uh, cat food producer for the Australian market. And I mean, in touching on a piece that I thought was interesting in going through sort of the business's history is this key element around traceability and around sort of, I suppose, all your, your fish products and your canned fish products and the like. How important do you see that for the business in terms of obviously, you know, food, beverage, agribusinesses need to look at traceability and it really helps from an Australian Probably at least a responsible fishing yep. more than anything and sustainability. We changed all of our tuna methods, for example, in 2011. And now everybody does it, but it took at yep. least five or six years before every other brand got on board. So you were sort of leader of the We were the leader yep. by four or five years, yeah. in fact. But it's very important to us for a number of reasons. Probably, firstly, if we didn't do it, we won't have a fishing business yep. in the world in years to come because consumption of seafood is rapidly growing at a speed in which if you don't have levels of controls be wiped out. That was the main reason. But secondly, we also thought commercially it was appropriate to move away from what most people did and create a commercial difference sure. in, in catching fish in a way that's uh, traceable and responsible. Uh, we use methods such as pole and line fishing, yep. which is what you think it is, pulling it out of the water one at a time, and also fad-free fishing, which means we don't use fish aggregating devices such as sonos etc that drag everything is and when you when you use those devices as some companies in the world still use you catch everything turtles sharks everything but you only want the tutor so there's an enormous amount of bycatch that's unused and decimates the ocean we don't take that approach and as i said we pioneered that in australia we were one of the first in the world and we thought of uh, quite highly by our consumers because of it and our customers i did like the added touch that on your website it has a counter there for the number of turtles saved so mm-hmm. that's uh, yeah. very good to see <laughs> well that's just for our brands but we, yep. we make other brands as well so if you okay. added all that in, there's a lot of turtles and sharks we've saved and uh, also there's a lot better fishing practices which actually help the human side of things as well yep. because it allows us to uh, ensure that the local communities 
uh, are rewarded for the efforts as opposed to how some companies have historically done it, which is big ships come in, take the fish, go back to where they come from, and no local community gets any benefit, and we're completely reverse of that. It's excellent to hear. It's obviously forefront of a lot of people's minds at the moment. I know you attended the Asia delegation um, with ANZ last year. You went around and I think you went into Shanghai and Singapore great, to yeah. have a bit of a look around. I think probably everybody who went on had different reasoning, some similar but some different. Our business in Australia is growing. Our business in the Middle East is growing. Um, Africa, we're getting some hedros into Africa, New Zealand, etc. But Asia, our business has historically been weak, even though it's on our doorsteps. There's a number of reasons for that. And when I got the opportunity to do this, to go to Shanghai and to Singapore, it was a great opportunity for us, not so much to go up there and do deals on the spot. It was really, for, in my case, for us to learn. And as the head of the company, if I don't know, how can you expect anybody else to know within the organisation? So my main prerogative was to go up there and learn more about the market, learn more about what other people's experiences are through talking to the many guests that ANZ invited along to talk yep. to us, but also some of my colleagues who came along with us. And everybody on the trip seemed to have a different stage of their China business, for example. Some are already doing quite well, others are along the way, others have got no idea. And in our case, we're doing a little bit of business there, but yep. I really didn't think we fully understood understood how we should do it. So that was our main reason to go, was to improve our understanding so it then allows us to go and make proper inroads in a planned and methodical way. And the same applied for Singapore. Yeah, it's it's a brilliant opportunity, I suppose, to link in with other business partners who Mm. are sort of going out and have operations in those areas and have some experience in sort of what they've done out there. So in terms of specific key business results that came out of it, I know so that was your first sort of foray into pushing into it further. Was there any sort of specific elements? There's a couple of areas we're working on. Um, Firstly, we'd already had a little bit of penetration in pet food. We'd started selling product there, uh, delivering to a distributor and primarily selling online through Mm -hmm. the main uh, online vehicles. But to be honest, it wasn't going very well. By going there, it allowed me to have a better understanding, both culturally and organisationally, how we should go about it, which wasn't right, to be honest. We've since then backtracked, uh, looked at our process, took some of those learnings and, and put in some new processes, which incorporated getting new distributors, etc. Uh, not necessarily picking on, which a lot of people do, they go to the Shanghai's of the world and think they you know, got to conquer Shanghai or yep. Beijing, where all that yep. population is, not yep. realising that it's very saturated because everybody does the same thing. And there's also some other areas, some second-tier cities that have populations substantially bigger than anything in Australia. So we've redone our distribution methods. We realise that online, as much as it's talked about, doesn't work that well for new brands. And there's a lot of talk about it, but it's mostly hoo-ha. And most companies are failing in that respect. A few are succeeding, but most are failing. We realised that we had to build our offline presence. In other words, we had to get product into pet stores and, and supermarkets. And we've just started doing that in a different way. Already our sales in the last two to three months have tripled that of what we did all of last year. Wow. So it's not huge yet, but it's developing, and that's our pet food. The other part of our business, which is something we're getting big at all the time, is baby food. And we're actually one of the three largest manufacturers of baby food in Australia. Right. We're experts at making high-quality baby food. We're using our capabilities, uh, and we're now setting up distribution options for our own brand, and we look to be putting that into the market in China in the second half of this year. Through the learnings and whatnot from the, the business trip that I took, because... Yeah. We've been wanting to do it, but we didn't know exactly what to do. And this yep. gave us some structure and outlines on how I want to go about it. And 
my team are following up that. And obviously a market like China, as you say, it's one of those ones where it's this huge market and everyone goes, oh, brilliant, we sell one can of X to everyone there and we'll be rich. But That's not that's, the real, that's yeah, not reality. Yeah, that's not, exactly, which which we are finding, you know, you hear a lot from more and more there's businesses a, yeah, in Triforce. And there's a few companies who, if you look at their share prices and their, and their performance, they're up and down like a yo-yo based on what happens in China. So yeah. I, I think for companies like ours, it's dangerous to make China our focus, but it has potential to add some good value to your organisation. Sure. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of perseverance to develop business in China. So in terms of managing those type of risks where obviously the regulatory environment can change quite a lot, um, so is your approach been to sort of partner with people on the ground in China who help with that sort of... I think so. It's quite difficult to do it from Australia. Yep. You need to find reliable representatives for your brands over there and there's a lot that tell you they can do it. But when it comes to it, there's very few that can do it. And we've got a couple of great ones now that we're working with that look like it's going to help us take the next step. But uh, it's been, there's been a lot of false starts. Yeah. And fortunately, it's not our business. It's not China and China and nothing else. If it was, we'd be in trouble. However, in the future, we can see China becoming a better part of our business. They seem to like good quality product. They like Australian product. That alone is not enough to do business. And as I learnt from when we were talking to some of the many guests in that part of the world was part of the ANZ group, they continue to say that, you know, you just can't be green and clean because Canada's green and clean and yep. some of Europe, you know, yep. the Norwegians are green and clean and, you know, other parts of the world are green and so clean. It's just yeah. a... Yeah expectation. So you've got to have something more than just they love Australian food because I think that used to be the case but now there's so much competition from other countries of the world who claim the same uh, that you need to be more than just that. So you need to have a point of difference and you need to be able to get a good partner, persevere. Patience is a big thing because sometimes things move very slowly over there. But once they happen, I mean, as I said, our opening doors for baby food will probably be really quite great, but it's taken, you know, quite a bit of time to get to the stage where we're getting close to our opening orders. Was it a process of you've gone through a couple of partners to get to the partner that's the right partner or how's it? We've had two or three full starts, to be honest. And I think that was our lack of understanding. They tell you they can do it. We just assume they can. So going out on something like this Opportunity Asia Tour and speaking to other people who'd been out in the region gave you a better context of, okay, we can get a narrow 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 view view of who we need to be approaching for this type of... And also, let's not be all things to everybody. Let's be quite specific. And I think that's what it did for us as much as anything. Yeah, sure talking to various other companies, and all of them have the same experiences. There's just different ways along the path, yeah, I sure. guess you could say, some further than others. And some have gone one path and come back and starting on a new path. Yep. And we did a bit of that. We've done a bit of that. But now we're, our path is better. So it's pet foods as well as the... Pet food and baby, baby food, food at this yeah. stage. Yeah. Uh, we actually already and have done for many years exported abalone, canned abalone into right. China okay. and through Hong Kong primarily. Very expensive. You're talking thousand US dollars a cup. Wow. Is what we sell it for. Okay. Well, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> Abalone makes crayfish look cheap. It's a short supply yep. product in Australia. It's quota driven. There's only so much allowed to be taken out of the sea any given year. Very highly controlled. If you take abalone out of the water without a permit and a quota, you're in serious trouble. So it's well controlled, but it also means the cost of abalone is expensive. And so to put it into a can, it's really expensive. A lot of the abalone is bought as gifts in China. We sell abalone there now and it's it's doing quite well, but there's a limitation to that because there's only so much abalone you can get your hands on. And we process that in our factory in Adelaide and send it up. But we probably could sell two to three times our volumes, we just can't get the abalone. Oh, wow. And so I suppose, and it's probably an an obvious comment, but I'd suggest that so 
the the baby food piece into China, I guess the food safety element was probably a reasonably. It's large important element. to there's two there's two parts. The baby food we make is pouches of baby food, yep. you know, fruit based, custard based, vegetable based, etc. Not the formula. Formula is huge in China. Baby food itself is growing. Historically, they used their own localised product. It's a developing area, so it's small relative to formula, but growing quite rapidly. Now, I know we've probably spoken about a few pieces there in terms of it, but if we bring it all back together, I suppose if you were to give me two or three key sort of points going into somewhere like a, a jurisdiction like China, um, you know, what are the key pitfalls or key things you would say to someone else who was looking to do the same thing? Uh, I would say do your homework, yeah. and when you've done it, redo it. And then when you've done that, redo it again. <laughs> because it's never right the first time. Thanks for coming in and, and sort of sharing a bit more about the business with us. That was, that was great. And it's obviously good to hear that the uh, the Opportunity Asia piece was something of value um, to your business and going out into the region. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Cheers. That was Daniel Clark from ANZ, talking with ANZ customer Andrew Mitchell from Safcol. Music is inspired by Kevin McLeod. To learn more, visit news.anz.com forward slash customer conversations and tell us what you think. I'm Gemma Simpson, digital producer and editor. Join me again next time for more customer conversations with ANZ.